Episode 19, The Chill. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Josie Martinez was right next to him, sleeping right next to him. They were both fully clothed. Josie'd rather stape herself shut than let that pestilent prick near her holiest. But in her dream, Josie was bare on a golden beach, the sun in its glory rendering her a burnished bronze. The wind was kind and the water pure, and oh how she wished that she could sink into this, for this to be the true waking. Instead, she woke up in the city beneath the black sun, and Fredo was dead. Josie pushed herself up and away from the frigid thing that had been Fredo, and looked for the weak spot that the chill had penetrated. Aha, Sheila had fallen asleep and let the fire die. Josie disentangled from the blankets and walk crawled across the hovel to where the last embers of the fire still gave momentary emissions of smoke. As Josie worked to rewake the blaze, Sheila woke up, saw what she was doing, and covered her mouth as a low moan emitted from it. Shut the fuck up, Josie growled. Tears began to fall down Sheila's blubbery cheeks. There were a lot of things Josie hated about Sheila, but somehow, the thing she hated most was the way Sheila continued to look soft and bloated, even as their dwindling group had to beg and claw for every morsel of food. Josie was convinced the bitch was hoarding candy bars or some other secret stash of goodies. But St. Brett, the self-appointed leader of their little band, refused to hear it. Sheila was struggling to get words out between sobs. Did, 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 Josie slapped her. She'd want to do it for a long time had more than ample justification to do it, so far as she was concerned. But Josie was tired, and Josie was cold, and Sheila, at that moment, just didn't seem worth the fucking effort. So the slap was sent with dispassion, as were the words, Fredo is dead. Sheila began to squeal again, causing Josie to raise her hand once more. 
the squeal stopped. Go lie down. We'll deal with it in the morning. Red-rimmed eyes looked likely to leak again. Josie, I lay the fuck down or I will lay you out myself. Sniffing, snuffling, Sheila folded herself into some blankets and lay down beside Brett. Josie noticed that Brett was also awake and no doubt would have words of disapproval for her once the day started proper. She wasn't interested. At the moment, her sole point of focus was the crack of her fire and the violent glow of red and orange that was as life to the last three members of this group. If the fire went, so did they. Winter's chill is always without mercy, but nowhere more so than in the city beneath the black sun. They started out as ten. Ten disparate scavengers picking their way through the city and eking out a living in the five years since the fall. Each of the ten had either turned their backs on the various tribes and clans and gangs or been rejected. It was not a comfortable or easy life, scrounging and scavenging for food and resources and items to trade, but it was a life until the chill hit. A month later, and none of the three survivors could have said for sure why it had come for them, or even what it was. It was the chill, and only that. A month ago, Amy Jacoby had heard a knock on the door of the flop house where the group had been staying that night. She discovered nothing there, save a folded paper sigil. That day, the group turned the paper over and around in their hands, trying to determine the shape and meaning of the sigil. Was it a prank? A warning, an art piece. That night, Jeremy Bogdan was on lookout, and a few hours before daybreak, he let the fire sputter and fade. When the group awoke the next morning, Jeremy had been frozen solid, his skin rendered crystal blue in the cold, his hair as sharp as rigid 
as icicles. He had been robbed of his eyes and of his tongue. Frozen red tears and red drool coated his face like war paint. There was no explanation and there was nothing to be done. Three nights later, the fire went out again while Donna and Amy Jacoby chatted with each other again only a scant few hours before dawn. The others awoke to Donna's screams. The fire had gone out, Donna said, and she and Amy had kept chatting. Then, Donna said, then a cold like nothing Donna had ever known descended on the pair, a kind of cold that goes beyond discomfort, that latches onto your bones, the kind of cold that goes so deep it saps you of all memory of the spring, the kind of cold that convinces you that the cold has always been, and you you only imagined warmth in a fleeting, foolish dream. Then, Donna said, she heard Amy's voice. But even though they had been sitting near each other, Amy now sounded far away. Amy was asking if Donna heard something, but Donna did not. Then, Donna said, Amy had gone silent, and she, Donna, had become aware of herself as being utterly and totally alone, adrift on a raft of darkness, a sea in a realm of bleak. Except that something moved just on the borders of what she could perceive. Something that sniffed the air as if testing out her taste. Something born of the dark that padded away on panther feet back into the deeper black. The atmosphere relaxed as the presence retreated and Donna exhaled with relief. She rebuilt the fire and there frozen solid was Amy. And once again, there was no explanation and there was nothing to be done. And so it had gone without reason, without order, and without relent until alone there was Sheila and Brett and Josie Martinez.
Brett surprised both women by saying nothing about their altercation. Josie saw Sheila's expression fall as she realized her longtime and only champion had given up his support. We're too tired for kindness, Josie thought, and we're too cold to care. She met Brett's eyes and knew at once what would happen that day. They turned from each other and would not acknowledge either one another or Sheila. Sheila looked from one companion to another and did not understand. They waited until noon and then they ditched her, cut her loose as it, the saying goes. It was a milder January than the last few, but they still wore layers as they trekked outside, Sheila dressing so heavily that she could not properly fold her arms to her sides. Snow fell in irregular bursts, a mocking sort of dust. There was no prompting, no real signal. The three were walking in regular rhythm, and then Josie looked at Brett, and Brett looked at Josie, and then they were gradually picking up speed, and then some more, faster and faster, and Sheila was huffing, and Sheila was puffing, and Sheila was falling behind, and Sheila was calling, and Sheila was crying, and Sheila had stopped moving, and was begging now, pleading now, and Sheila was small, and yank smaller, and then, at last, Sheila was gone. Neither Josie nor Brett slept that night. They watched their fire in silence. Josie could not have guessed what lay behind Brett's troubled expression, but she herself felt an almost uncontainable giddiness. There had been such a clarity and cleanliness to that day's cruelty that Josie felt as one reborn, felt as though all doubts and pains had been washed away. It was an electric feeling, that meanness. In the morning, they let the fire burn out and Brett spoke at last. It's done. Josie shrugged. Maybe, but hell, even Sheila knows how to keep a fire lit for night. We don't know it's done, Brett said with finality. His stare had nothing in it, and that nothingness to her was a scourge like hatred. Well, so fucking what, she sneered. Want me to find some fucking tissues for you? Brett's smile was small and strained. Josie began gathering up her gear. Come on then, she said. I'm staying here, he said. Josie sighed. Don't expect me to start bawling after you. Brett replied. Don't expect it. Don't want it. I'm tired, that's all. No fire is going to help me anymore. So, you go on and I'll just wait to see what happens.
She stared at him. Whatever it is, it's gonna fucking kill you. And you, you just want to sit here? I'm going to wait. That's it? I'm going to wait and see. You're a lunatic, Josie said. Brett shrugged. Realizing he was dead set on this, Josie tore open his pack and looted what she could. He watched her with that same small smile. That same emptiness. She went to the door. Stopped. This is so stupid, you know? You and me? We could have made a real go of this. Found a way out from under whatever it is. But no. You have to be all honorable. An honorable twit. He sat with his back to her and did not respond. She survived for a time. She felt secure enough on her first few nights on her own. But then one midnight, it seemed to her that she felt the oppressive atmosphere that Donna had described on the night of Amy Jacoby's death. She knew then that she was the last. She knew then that she was alone. She kept the fire. By day, she napped and walked and found out places to hold up for the night. By night, she kept the fire. It seemed to her that she had been alive too long, but she could not stand to let the fire go out. Sometimes, she would watch it sputter and begin to fade to bare embers, and she would think, Yes, go out, yes, only to be seized by a mad instinct that sent her diving to relight the blaze. Until there came at last a day when her wanderings brought her nowhere at any place that seemed hospitable. The black sun faded quickly and she was alone and lost in the city at night. She sat down on a bench and felt empty of all things. A bus pulled up to the bench and released its doors with a hiss. She thought she saw someone get off, but she might have been mistaken. The bus driver was an old man. The word wizened popped into her head and she wondered if this had something to do with the fact that the bus driver resembled a storybook illustration of a wizard. 
I've never seen a bus driving around this city, said a voice that she did not recognize as her own. Well, I've never seen a passenger out this hour in this city, the bus driver said. Josie Martinez, believing she knew what this was, got on the bus. She sat in the front row, just adjacent to the driver. The doors hissed again as they closed, and soon the bus lurched to life. Through the windshield, lit by the headlights, the city that had been her home and world seemed an alien thing. She remembered in school, watching videos of wrecks on the ocean floor, the footage obtained by robots. She remembered seeing those ruins, the process of decay not stopped, but only slowed to torturous eternity remembered floating along those desolate worlds and thinking, this is what a ghost sees. How long have you been driving this bus? Said the voice she could not believe was her own. Oh, I started a couple years before this unpleasantness. It's a kind of unofficial retirement. Spent my life working in comics, the kind you can't give to children but they forced me out. Why is that? On account of, I remembered about the aliens. What? Well, miss, my father died when I was 12, and for most of my life, that whole period was a haze that I just couldn't recall. But then, one day, on the anniversary of his death, it all came back to me. The alien craft that pulled us from the wreckage the great work that the beings inside told me was mine to perform. Their city on their world, a city beneath a red sky. My father, waving goodbye, has led him away and guided me back to their ship so they could return me to the world and the crash and to my purpose, which was to spread their word, their sign, throughout the world. And once I remembered, I realized that I had been serving the mission all along, and I redoubled my efforts, this time telling everyone, all the people that I could, about exactly what I was doing. The boss men did not like that. He laughed. They told me I could keep writing and drawing, but I need to use a pseudonym and keep my enlightenment to myself. So, what did you say? I told them to eat my cock and left an upper decker in the men's room. His laugh, a wheezing thing. Anyway, he went on. That's why I don't get too worked up about this unpleasantness. It's all a part of their plan. For all of us. We just have to be patient and give them time. I'm all out of time she said. Just you wait. They'll come back for me. And then he turned and winked at her. Then we'll all be saved. No, 
That's just it, she said. I'm a bad person. I hurt people and feel glad about it. This whole world went to hell and I've never felt more home. Maybe, maybe there are a savior or saviors coming, but there's nothing in me merits saving. Say, she said to him, are you a religious man? The bus driver scoffed. That always seemed like a bunch of craziness to me. She smiled at that and turned away and curled her legs beneath her. The bus driver turned to say something more, but decided against it. Josie Martinez shut her eyes and waited for the last drop into that longer, deeper chill. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, my apologies on a long delay between episodes. That was not the plan. Uh, just sometimes a computer will decide to die on you. Yeah, thanks technology. Love you. Black Sun Dispatches is, I guess, as I said, is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network, uh, and we are only one of many great shows, including um, Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Mandate, along with a ton of really great writing featured by a whole bunch of really, really cool writers. Uh, so even if for whatever reason this podcast is not to your taste, if you have that taste, uh, there is tons of other cool stuff for you to check out uh, and enjoy on the site. Black Sun Dispatches is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. You can hit them up at xlvacx.com. That's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. If you want to sponsor uh, this show or other shows on Cinepunks, uh, you can hit our Patreon or contact us directly and we'd uh, love to hear from you. If you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we really always appreciate uh, anything that helps get the word out. So, you know, rating and reviewing us is a huge, huge help. Also, uh, Facebook, Twitter, anything to kind of let people know about this weird thing that exists and is good. I think, yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's fine. Our logo is designed by Jennifer Rogers, uh, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. So, as I said, guys, thank you so much uh, for sticking in there, even though uh, we had that on unplanned hiatus. Uh, we'll be back on February 26th with another new episode. Uh, see you then. Thanks everybody. Bye.